Um, all right. It's Millennial Woes doing the countercurrent stream, and everything should be okay. Now, I wasn't sure what to talk about. I was going to, well, I looked around for a guest to have because uh, that, that usually helps because you can just have, chat about current events, but nobody was available. So then I thought, well, I could talk about my Substack essays, the stuff that I'm working on, and I might do that, or I might just answer questions, super chats that come in. We'll see. Um, in terms of the Substack, people who are, uh, who, watch my weekly show, the, the a Gram of, of Woes, will know that I've been working on a big thing just uh, the last few weeks about the loony left, the 1980s left in Britain. And that really is ridiculous. There's so, so much to it. I, I started off with thinking it would just be an essay, just one on Substack, maybe three or 4,000 words. It, it grew to seven and a half thousand. And then I took a step back and just started madly researching and trying to bring everything together, collate all these different sources. Um, so, I, And so I haven't written any new text for, well, about two weeks now. I've just been gathering uh, material and learning and uh, tracking things down. And it, it's a huge topic because it's, it's politics and community networking, organization, ideas, different cities, but I'm really trying to concentrate just on London um, for some semblance of simplicity. And and it involves lots of characters. And it's, it's weird because it reminds me of the alt-right circa 2015-16. That's a, a tangential point. It's, not really relevant to the thing itself. Well, it isn't at all relevant to the, the topic itself, but it certainly uh, is relevant to me. It, it, it's interesting to me how much this resembles that in terms of the, the atmosphere and the, the sense of people interacting and everyone is up to their own thing, but there are collaborations. But of course, with the loony left in the 80s, it was a, there were very key differences but yeah there are, there are these ways that are, it reminds me of that sense of building something and being part of something but the reason i got into this was it's a it's a term that is there in the ether i grew up hearing it and it is invoked now and then when ed miliband uh, i mean it was all over by by the time i became aware circa 1990 this was really all, all over. But the term kept floating around. And then it was invoked when Ed Miliband became leader of the Labour Party, whenever that was, I think that was 2011. And then it was invoked majorly when Jeremy Corbyn became leader. And so it was being used as a cheap way to mock leftist idealism. And I th well with with or at least that's what, yeah that, that's a, that's what the public would believe that that's what the public were told, and really I think it was a similar thing in the eighties except that they really were pretty radical in the eighties. Whether I don't think Ed Miliband was radical at all, it's really to do with his father. I think that he was called Red Ed, 
But then Corbyn kind of was radical in, in the sense that he was a bit of a break from the new Labour tradition. By that time, it had become a sort of tradition. And so, in a way, he he definitely was a, what's the word, a throwback to the 80s. And he was he was actually part of the 80s, the, the loony left back then. He was definitely one of the main figures. So, so there are these, that's another aspect to this project is how things relate to each other across time, which is very, very interesting because it, it, it doesn't, like the Looney Left didn't start in 1980. It, it, there are prequels to it and sort of dress rehearsals for it. And then it didn't really end completely in 87. It kind of did, but, but it also didn't because it, is it then reappears in the early 90s, in the mid 90s, in the late 90s, uh, in different iterate sort of echoes of it. And then you get Ed Miliband and then you get Jeremy Corbyn you know, 10 years, 15 years later. So it's, it's interesting. And the other thing, and I should say this just uh, to let people know why I got into this now, uh, there's a documentary on YouTube about the loony left. And I saw it for the first time, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago now. And I always find it fascinating. But this time I thought, about a month ago, it occurred to me I should write an essay just about that documentary. And so I, that was what I originally was doing. But then I thought, what can I find out about each of the people who appear in this documentary? From, and it's from 1986. I think it was filmed. I think it was filmed at the end of '86, as far as I can pin it down. And it's an American documentary. The program is called Sixty Minutes, and the the actual report, the actual documentary, is only like a quarter of an hour long. It's really not very long at all, but it's packed with interesting stuff, interesting interviews. And anyway, what what was really fascinating for me was. I wondered how much can I find out about each of these people? And I assumed it's this, it's an obscure, it's an artifact from the past, it's 40 years ago, it's an obscure documentary, these people are not going to be, I mean, how much, to what extent can you dig up someone obscure from the past, from 40 years ago, who's not got a social media profile, they're not on Facebook, they're not on Twitter, etc., etc. Et but actually what I found was, you actually can, uh, with some of them, you can dig up a huge amount of stuff because they were, well, they had lives. But then others, you it's disappointing. You, you can hardly find out anything about them. They really are obscure. Even though they did appear in this documentary, they, there's really not, they didn't make much else of a, a footprint, as it were. So it's a mixed bag. And some of them, there's one guy who appears in the documentary who's this black sort of kingpin figure in London. There's a bully, active, race activist, black power guy. And I found out an awful lot about him. He had a, a very full life, but very criminal life from what I, well, from the looks of it. But then there's a, a guy who I can't even identify from the documentary. So I can't find out anything about him. So it's as I say, mixed bag. But I'm hoping that once this is uh, written, 
and out there it will be of interest to people it's it's a sort of fascination for me just to as a sort of challenge to find out how much i can find out about this these people but i i hope that it will be of interest um both in the sort of imaginative sense but also in the intellectual sense because i obviously i will discuss the actual content that is is shown in the documentary and more broadly the activities of the loony left in general so th there will be a lot in that and it will not just be one essay i think it's going to be a big like a long-running series like 15 16 th uh, essays and i've said obviously this i've said this kind of thing before with the rot where i was uh, rather overwhelmed but that was you know that was 2015. i'm far better at handling this kind of stuff nowadays i'd like to think so i don't think i'll get overwhelmed by it and in in addition it's mostly research i mean it's not it's not something where i have to come up with lots of original stuff myself it's really a matter of collating all these different sources together and fashioning it into something halfway interesting so I'm thinking 16 essays. Some of them will be quite short, like five, six, 800 words. Others will be more substantial, like 3,000 words. And that's going to be on my Substack. So, and it will be going out, I would say, from the start of next year um, after Millennial. What I'll do for now is collate as much as possible of the, the sources, read some, uh, some books that I, I've ordered. You can get ridiculously, uh, you can get secondhand books ridiculously cheaply online. So I got a few like five books about this topic. So I'll be reading them as well. And as I say, it's a major project. It will take a while to just state as it were, but I hope that it will be a, a kind of unique contribution actually, because you don't often get us talking about them they bloody talk about us endlessly and actually that's another thing it occurred to me <laughs> it's always frustrating when we get written about by the left and they don't bother to interview us they don't bother to come to us to like they've never come to me and asked are you actually pro-slavery because if they did i would be able to easily tell them no i'm not that's a lie that gets spread around by, by people who hate me. So instead they go to people who hate me and and, and are duly told, yeah, 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 he, he really is pro-slavery. So this is an example, obviously that's a perfect uh, personal example for me, but everyone in the movement would have similar complaints to make that they are written about by the mainstream media and by the far left. And a lot of it is just bullshit that is regurgitated from other bullshitters in the media and on the far left. They never come to us and just ask about specific things or about our general worldview. It's all inferred by them and reconstructed by them, which is very frustrating for us because it means we never get our, we're never allowed that right to reply. The only thing we're allowed a right to reply about is, you know, obvious slander where you you might be allowed to say you might you might be allowed a couple of sentences to respond to some ridiculous thing that's been said about you but but not your general worldview they're not interested in hearing it in your own words 
they're just interested in caricaturing it, demonizing it, etc. And that's frustrating for us. But when I started writing this, I started realizing why, well, one of the reasons, so I, I thought it'd be nice to get in touch with some of these people that, who are in this documentary from the far left and ask them, well, obvious questions. But then I thought, but would I trust a goddamn word that they said? And then I thought, well, maybe that's why they don't interview us, because they wouldn't trust us, to be honest, either. Um, and I think that, ironically, I, I'm bound to say this, but I do think that we would be more honest. Apart from anything else, our worldview hasn't been directly refuted over the last 50 years by the events that we precipitated and brought about. So we don't really need to be dishonest. There's, there's no particular reason for us to save face. We can just be honest and say, uh, well, you know, if you'd listened to us 50 years ago and our predecessors 50 years ago, then none of this would have happened. You know, we, we've been vindicated, so we don't fucking need to lie. But they do need to lie because they've got what they wanted and it's been an absolute catastrophe. Uh, just now, uh, Lampedusa is happening right now. Thousands of people in a single day. I think it was six and a half thousand. But I, I can't remember the exact number. But the numbers don't even matter anymore because they are so huge. And that's without even going into the general nihilism of society, the wages of feminism, the consequences of atheism. Everything, all of these different maladies that you could that you could enumerate. Every one of them has had terrible effects. And uh, and so I think the left, if you were to probe someone from then who was still alive now, if you were to probe them on the effects of their creed, I think they would have to be dishonest, most of all with themselves, because otherwise they'd have to face up to the fact that they were, they were duped, they, or they deluded themselves back then. They had some sort of chip on their shoulder, a vendetta. They had an insecurity, a hang-up that drove them into this ideology. Or they were just young and, and stupid, which is very typical. And one way or another, they fell in love with, uh, with nonsense. Well, that's not an easy thing to admit to. There are people who take decades to actually pluck up the courage to admit to that. So, yeah, this that made me think. So, what is the? Uh, would it be? Would there be much point in approaching these people? Now, I should say that a lot of them are just simply dead. So, unfortunately, I mean, forty years is a long time, and that's something that's really become apparent to me. Do, doing this research is goddamn. You know, that person died fifteen years ago. That person died eight years ago. That person died two years ago. Shit. So I can't interview them. This is out of the question. So that's that's a bummer. But um, with the ones who are still alive, I don't know. I mean, I, and the, the other thing is, would they talk to me? If I think if they knew who I was, almost certainly not. Um, but I, I, I'll see. I'll see. It, it almost seems like a shame not to try because. As I said, this will be a unique thing. I don't want to 
blow my own trumpet, but I do think this is quite unique. For, uh, for us to survey the previous iteration of our opponents, and you know that's, our, let's say, our previous iteration of our opponents. Now, obviously, it's the, the, there are nuances there because our opponents aren't really leftist activists. But nonetheless, you know what I mean. It, we, it, they are the ones who are putting forth this worldview that eventually seduced the public or, were, or the public took it on board one way or another. So they were the ones putting this forward in the 80s. And I, see, the thing, the way I think this played out was that the public rejected it. And that's why it's called the loony left and, and vice versa. It was called the loony left. So the public rejected it. Uh, the press sort of dictated that. But then it got brought in anyway. And this is, I remember years ago, I read a book by Melanie Phillips, uh, All Must Have Prizes. And it was about the subversion of the education system, actually in the 80s. Right? <laughs> Oddly enough, it's a lot of the, the same people involved because that's part of this story, the, how the, the education system, it figures hugely in all of this because they were always trying to change the curriculum, change the rules, even change the staff at, at schools and so on. Obviously, it was happening under, and you've got an echo of this now with Trump, where it was a right-wing president, and yet the left just ran riot, both figuratively and literally. They kind of ruled the roost, even though there was supposedly a right-wing president. Likewise, in the 80s, there was a hard right, well, supposedly hard right, conservative, radical, conser radical right-wing Thatcherite government. And yet the left were ruling the roost. The, the left were running riot, both figuratively and literally. And you're going to think, how the hell, how is this? And that's a huge question in itself. And other people have tried to answer it. But the point that I was going to make was, yes, their worldview was rejected by the public and by the press, same thing. But then it, it was implemented anyway, just in a more slow motion and subtle way. And also more middle class kind of way, more professional, more slick. And that's something that you see in the 90s. Um, there's one character from the documentary, most of them didn't really have any future beyond the 80s, any sort of influence beyond the 80s. But one of them did, and and that was because he got into the media, uh, into the BBC. And by the mid-90s, he was holding big conferences in uh, in Europe, in, in Holland and Belgium and Germany. And that's interesting, to, because it's not some dingy office in, you know, the GLC or some... PTA meeting in a school in Haringey, in London. It's a very grand, expensive, slick international conference centre in on the continent. It's a completely different world. And that is actually how radical leftist ideas were implemented. Not by the you know, placard-waving uh, weirdos in... Uh, in Brent or Hackney or Camden. And I guess you could say that was part of it. You know, the, the, the on-the-street protests and the activists and all that, yeah, they did play a part. 
But I think the way it really happened was by being made official and big budget and professional. Uh, and I think the key word is slick. But then all of that is kind of incidental because basically I think it happened because it was selected as a worldview. It was, and, and this is where you get to the, the very big picture about who is really in charge and who is orchestrating how culture changes and society changes and even how the economy changes. And then, you, yeah, I mean, obviously that's that's a huge question. And you've got about Thatcher and were her decisions her own? Was she so unimaginative that she didn't realise the effects that her monetarist policies would have on society and on culture? Did she even care about that? Either way, it certainly does seem to have been what the money power wanted. It got what it wanted via Thatcher. But then it also got what it wanted via Tony Blair. And then, of course, David Cameron, and all the rest of them. So, as I say, this is a topic where you can go off in a hundred different directions, so many different tangents. So it's a, it's a difficult one to, to, to marshal and uh, to shape into something linear and clear. And of course, this is just the ideas part of it. Now, once you start talking about the actual people and the history of it, then it's complicated again. So, of course, any account of it and any essay about it is going to be selective by nature. It has to be, because otherwise you just have this maelstrom of, of things, of ideas and facts and supposed facts. So, yeah, this is what I've been dealing with for the last... Uh, Two weeks since I uh, since I got back, I, I was away uh, having a, a break for the first time in a long time, and that was nice. But then, as soon as I got back, I, I got to work on this, and uh, so there we go. But I will probably have to put it away soon because I need to get essays up, smaller ones up on Substack, and then I need to start working on Millennial which will probably dominate October and November and then begin in December. I'm not sure how big to make it this year. Uh, it might be, I, I, I did have this idea that it would be nice to do one, like a really big one and uh, like loads of things and start it maybe on the 5th of December uh, rather than the 10th. And, uh, really just as a sort of challenge to see how much, because uh, last year, uh, it, it's it's one of those, it's difficult to describe this. On the one hand, it is exhausting, but on the other hand, I've kind of worked out how to do it. So I kind of want to know how much could it, you know, how big could I make it? Because people do seem to enjoy it. And the other thing is this particular year, I'm back on Twitter, so there are lots of people that I'm now in touch with, or at least on the same platform with, that I, I didn't even know about this time last year. So it would make sense to uh, build bridges with them, so to speak, by having them on Millennial. So it would be a lot of new people. That's a gamble, because last year there were a lot of new people on. And 
I don't know if people enjoyed that, if uh, if the audience enjoyed that as much as they enjoy seeing. I, I wonder if people would prefer just to see the old favourites every single year. That seems... And, you know, there are there are people... I'm not going to name names because I don't want to insult people by not naming them. <laughs> but there are people who are very... Like, old hands at being interviewed who are very good at it. Like, you can ask them a question and they just run with it and there's they don't hesitate they're not lost they they're, they're fine for five minutes ten minutes and i was really impressed by that but i was also and i'm not just saying this i was also impressed by the people last year who were new relatively new to all of this and again you could ask them a question and uh and they were okay so i was very impressed with a lot of the well really all of the newcomers last year but I, I don't know how much the audience enjoyed it. There was also a sort of atmosphere of gloom hanging over us all last year because of the Ukraine war, but also Nord Stream. And Nord Stream definitely got me down. Um, it was grim. The idea that America would just fuck over Germany and impoverish Germany and like that. Now, that's yet to be seen, how much that manifests. Uh, people did say at the time, it won't be this this winter, it'll be next winter when it really hits the, the high energy prices. We'll see. Um, but that, that was something that really created a bad atmosphere last year, the, the sense of the, the, yeah, doom, that, that we're heading into a bad era. And, you know, recession and all that kind of stuff. So that might have played a part in it as well. One way or the other, I had this feeling that Millennial wasn't quite as successful last year as it had been the year before, for example. Now, I wasn't torn up about it. I, I don't think it was a failure. I just think it wasn't quite as upbeat. But anyway, this is just something that I have to think about, contemplate, because... I would like to have lots of new faces on this year, and I would like to make it a big one with you know, many streams. But uh, I'm not sure if people would like that or if they would just rather see the old favourites back again. Because there were some that I had to leave off last year in order to make space for, for newcomers. And, you know, that is a, that's a, that's a horrible thing to do because people understandably get ups they get offended if they're being left out of something it's a it's a very human thing but i only ever do it so that there's space for someone else because i can't have everyone on every single year but anyway we'll see how that goes and um, i'm just going to uh, switch a fan on because it's a bit hot in here right Okay, I can see your comments now. Hello, everyone. All right, so now here is, uh, well, I was going to talk about one of the forthcoming Substack essays, which is about the corporation and consent. And I was, because it's relevant because of COVID. It's also relevant because of social media and Silicon Valley. And, and it might be relevant in other ways in the future that we aren't quite aware of yet. Are yet to 
appear. Um, but it's the, it's the matter of consent. It's the matter of how a corporation gets you to sign a contract so that it can then uh, get away with things or, or get away with not doing things. Um, and what I used as the sort of model in this essay, as I say, it's not been published yet. I'm just talking about it in, in the abstract, as it were. What I used as the model was the, the matter of uh, Alex Murphy in Robocop. There's a line in that film, because the, the for anyone who doesn't know, it's about a cop who gets killed and the, the police force is run by a corporation and they use his body to create a cyborg police officer. And obviously that's a preposterous, it's an outlandish notion. And you think, well, apart from the technical stuff, there's also the ethical, legal, legal side of it. Namely, how could they possibly get permission to do that to a guy? In other words, it's outlandish. It's not going to happen in real life. And not just because of the technical stuff. The, 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 the legal, ethical side of it would, would thwart it as well. But then I thought, well, about a year ago, there was a scare where it looked like PayPal were going to fine people some ridiculous amount of money. I think it was $1,000 for each moral transgression that you made on. So, so for example, if you were a content creator and you're using PayPal uh, to get donations, to get sustenance, and you then say something uh, politically incorrect on Twitter, well, that might count as a transgression. And so PayPal might fine you $1,000. Even though it's not got anything to do with their platform, they are taking it upon themselves to, to do the, the socially just thing and punish you for saying something racist or saying something sexist or anti-Semitic or whatever. So they're taking it upon themselves to do the right thing as, as they see it and fining you even though it doesn't endanger their business, it's not damaging to their reputation as a platform or whatever. No, they're doing it because that's what corporations do nowadays. But that's not the interesting thing. The interesting thing is, could they get away with doing that? And it seems to me that the answer is largely, yes, they could, if they'd got you to agree to it. In other words, if it's in the terms, if it's in the terms and conditions, then you're agree you've consented you've consented to get to getting fined a thousand dollars if you say something that paypal don't like they i mean what legal recourse would you have well it's it's in the contract it's in the the terms that you clicked yes to so what are you going to do you're going to say, well, I didn't actually read the terms. Or, well, yes, I clicked, I agree, but I didn't actually agree with it. It's ridiculous. Why would I agree to that? But you did agree to it. <laughs> so what can you do? And the thing is, obviously, no one reads reams of uh, terms and conditions because nobody got time for that. So because they really are voluminous. So people just click agree and but the other thing is let's say even if they did even if they did read it all 
well, they've kind of got to say yes. Even if they don't like the terms, they've kind of got to say yes if they want to uh, have a PayPal account. And, it, and for a lot of people, that's the only way that they can conceive of getting donations. So, in other words, well, let's get back to Alex Murphy. He wanted to be a cop. And so part of that was signing a contract, giving OCP permission to use his body, to use his corpse in the event that he gets killed or in the event that he dies. Uh, and there's one line of dialogue in the, the film which uh, sort of enables the whole storyline to happen. And it's an OCP executive says, well, he's signed the release forms when he joined the force. He's legally dead, so we can do pretty much whatever we want to him. I think that's it verbatim. And that's it. That's where the whole, what would otherwise be a preposterous premise for a film, is explained away. It's uh, justified. In other words, he consented. Alex Murphy agreed to the contract, just as someone agrees to PayPal's terms and conditions. And, and so, as it happens, this thing a year ago, it turned out to be a false alarm. PayPal at least said that actually that was a mistake, Those that that document shouldn't have been uploaded onto the website, though that we're not going to do that. So that was a mistake, it was an error. But, but the thing is, what would, what, what would be there to stop them from doing this? That's the question, because they, the point is, they could do it if they chose to. Now, you'd have a few law uh, court cases. And probably a, a sane judge would, have, would rule against PayPal doing this to people, fining them for what they've said elsewhere. But eventually, well, what if the judge is in on it as well? I mean, what if he's in the, the you know, whatever, the World Economic Forum Club? Or whatever it is. And, and th this gets you to the, the whole thing, it all being one club that, that they're all in. Well, then no one is going to go against that. That They're all going to play their part. Now, I, obviously, this is uh, paranoid, fever dream kind of stuff. But, but not really. <laughs> I, don't, I, I actually don't think it is. And I realize how tinfoil hat I might sound here, but I don't think it's unbelievable. I don't think it's impossible to imagine a future in which the judge sides with PayPal and just says, well, look, you bloody accepted the, the terms. Fuck you. <laughs> I mean, you would be in the position of Alex Murphy. There is really not much you can do by way of legal recourse. And so, in other words, the corporation has ways to get you to sign away your rights. And once that's done, as I say in the, the essay, uh, the legality, it's in the nature of legalities that they change actualities, because otherwise there'd be no point to them at all. So you cease being that person who is entitled, who, who has freedom of speech, because you have given that up. And you did it voluntarily. You consented to this because you were getting something in return that you felt was worth it, or you just didn't think that deeply about it. But either way, you are now in this predicament. 
and it's uh, and it's legal. So I know this is a bit of a banal point that I'm making and laboring here. So I'm, I'm sorry for that, but it interests me because it's like this is how they convert someone from raw human, a, a raw human being into a customer or a client or an asset or an employee. It's by way of contract, which finesse the, the raw thing into what the corporation needs it to be. Now, obviously, you could apply this to other things, not just co uh, corporations. You know, I'm not necessarily anti-capitalism anti or whatever. It doesn't, that's not really the point. It's, it's the matter of human existence. It's the matter of how you interact with institutions and, uh, and become vulnerable to them, by, in this case, by voluntarily giving things up. So it's an interesting concept to me. I hope it's conveyed better in the essay than I'm doing here, because this is, I feel I'm being a bit messy here. I'm sorry about that. This is the first time I've really said this stuff uh, in an improvised fashion. So that was one thing I wanted to talk about. And I, I did uh, mention that that essay will be going up I, maybe tomorrow or maybe next Sunday. I'm not sure yet. I'm going to get back to putting one out every Sunday uh, because that's what I was doing before and I think that's right. I was experimenting with putting two essays out each week but I think that was too much. Um, I don't, it's it's too much, it, well for, both for me and for my readers I, I think that's just kind of ridiculous. If they were short it would be a different matter but the essays tend to be about 3,000 words so I'm, I think one a week is uh, is ample. The latest one is, yeah, Advice for Young Men. That's actually from about three weeks ago now. Since I went on holiday, I wasn't uh, able to keep it up to date. So that's why I'm a, uh, the, the latest one was about three weeks ago. But the norm is one each week. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about, well, first of all, I'll have a look and see if there are any super chats. Hold on a second, uh, just in case I don't want to miss that. The Oliver Anthony thing has had a divide. Is that? I think that's maybe old news at this point. Um, so I, you also mentioned Keith did a service to the entire sphere this past week with his work on Twitter. Uh, what do you? Uh, yeah, this is about the ban the ADL. Yeah, that's. I think that is an old super chat. But I will just say that I think it's uh, fantastic uh, the ban the ADL campaign, and I'm, I completely support that. Uh, yes, it, it really opened up a debate and made a lot of people aware of the ADL who I don't think were aware of them beforehand. Uh, now, whether Elon Musk will ban the ADL is, is a different matter, and it's not really the point. The point is that it opens up a discussion uh, because it is basically a, a sort of gangster mafia organization. Well, I'll say, just to avoid any possibility of slander, I'll say it. It has alarming similarities to stereotypical gangster mafia organizations. So it should be called out, uh, to say the least. I mean, ideally, it should be banned, but <laughs> let's leave it at that. Right, now, the other thing I wanted to talk about, and please post Super Chats now, because I'll talk about this next thing for about 
probably 20 minutes and thereafter I will have nothing to say. So if you could post Super Chats on Entropy or on Odyssey, that would be great to keep me going. Um, right, yeah. So this is a an interesting matter. And I don't know how much... I mean, probably everyone, probably all of you will know somebody like the person that I'm going to describe to you. It's a female friend of mine had a a friend, a, a male colleague from years ago, and they used to get on quite well. She since became red-pilled. And then this male colleague from years ago got back in touch with her. And I think, I mean, I've had experiences myself where a friend from the past gets in touch with you and you feel like you have developed, but that person has stayed kind of exactly as they were when, when they were 18 or whatever it was. So they haven't grown up or they haven't developed. They haven't become realistic, let's say, or mature, let's say, <laughs> whereas you in your red-pilled glory have, in at least some ways, let's put it that way, you have become wise to certain realities. Now, there might be other flaws with you. Um, no one is claiming to be perfect as a result of uh, the red pill. It doesn't, I mean, that's that's obviously ridiculous. It's it's not about that. It's not about becoming the, you know, a, a well-rounded, tremendous person. It's simply about understanding certain realities, about the way the world works and the, and the way the human species is. And so you can meet someone from, the past, from your past who you used to get along with really well back when you were both young and carefree. And... Uh, and be depressed to find out that they have not developed and they still have the same concerns, the same opinions that they had back then, or even worse. You know, because nowadays the media is constantly giving people stupid ideas with which they can maintain childish beliefs uh, and, and techniques and arguments by which they can defend childish beliefs which in a healthier age they would have grown out of. But the culture doesn't want people to grow out of them. So it keeps feeding them this stuff and keeps demonizing the alternatives, including the red pill. And so my female friend was in this situation where this colleague that she used to get along with really well got in touch and this is a guy of, uh, I should say, he's 40, 45, he's Canadian, and he has seen his city, Vancouver, transform in his adulthood, it's like since the 90s. It is, and I've, I've never been to Vancouver, so I'm not speaking from experience, and I certainly didn't see it in the 90s, but everyone tells me it has transformed almost out of recognition, especially demographically since then. And this guy has been there all that time. So he's seen that happen. 
and yet he maintains a worldview that in it, to me and to my female friend is completely delusional and infantile and must actually take quite a lot of effort to maintain. So I'm going to reel off <laughs> this guy's beliefs, or at least the ones that I, I was able to note down while my friend was telling me this story. But what is interesting, well, there are numerous interesting things about this. One of them is she kept, he kept asking her about her current politics. And she kept hinting to him not to ask. Uh, let's not get into that because it's be a bit awkward. And But he kept refusing to take the hint. And at one point he said, uh, look, I, or she said something like, look, it might not be safe for us to talk uh, online. This is all online. And she said, it might not be safe for us to talk about this stuff online because it's, it's controversial. And he said, oh, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to speak my mind. I'm not afraid to say what I think. So uh, so don't worry. Don't worry about me. Now, he thought that she was saying his opinions are controversial, that he would be endangering himself by voicing his extraordinarily blue-pilled ideas. Now, why did he think that? Because he thinks that he is an underdog. He thinks that the world is run by straight, white, conservative, right-wing men, and that they would be angry with him for having the, the beliefs that he has. And so he thinks he's brave for not caring about that, for not caring about the, the possible consequences of him voicing these ideas. So some somehow this guy, not only has absorbed everything from the media, but in the course of doing that, he has somehow developed the notion that he has not absorbed anything from the media, that this is all coming from within himself. And I think this is very typical. I think this is something that is built into the messaging. And, and you'd think surely no one would fall for that. I mean, if if Microsoft and Google and the Coca-Cola company, if they're all agreeing with your, your opinions, then, and the government and every academic department in the West, if they're all agreeing with your opinions, then surely you're not the underdog and you're not in any danger. And, and, and also you didn't come up with these ideas yourself. How is it just a massive coincidence that all these other institutions just happen to have your opinions and you, but you nevertheless you you arrived at them yourself independently i mean that's that's ridiculous and yet it seems to be what this guy and many 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 people believe and i think this is probably the greatest trick involved in it all uh, to make people think that they came up with this stuff themselves and that the powerful would disagree with them. And so they are brave. They're not only insightful and intelligent for coming up with this stuff themselves, they're also very brave for standing up to the powerful, for speaking truth to power. 
when it's power that's telling them this. And this I, I find absolutely amazing. I mean, it, I think you could probably write a book anatomizing how this is done because it's, it's an amazing trick, really an amazing trick. So, um, yeah, he's actually for the oppressive regime, not against it. Exactly. And this is a guy who is, you know, in the 90s, w would have been quite, sub well, still is quite subcultural. He's into that kind of stuff. He would have been a bit of a rebel in the 90s. And, uh, and he thinks he's still a rebel now. And you, you see this in other spheres as well. And, and, I mean, it's definitely familiar to us. All of these subcultures, I mean, it's like, it's so depressing when you hear about yet another bloody rock group who have the rainbow avatar and they believe in the vaccine and, and COVID and, and Putin's the, the megalomaniac and uh, whatever, D Donald Trump is the, the Satan, etc., etc. Yet another band who you thought had some sort of rebellious spirit in them actually know they are completely on board with the, the menu of opinions that you're supposed to have. You see this time and time again now. Indeed, it's remarkable when it's not the case, when you find a, someone who actually is rebellious. And I would say Morrissey would be an example of that. And I'm not even that big a fan of his music. In fact, I'm not a fan of his music. It's not my kind of thing. But he is obviously talented. But it's, well, the point is, I actually do think he's a rebel where, and you know, obviously the thing about being a rebel, that's a, that's a whole thing in itself. That's a whole discussion in itself. But let's leave that aside. We're just talking about uh, taking it as it is. This is what they purport to be. People admire them for that, sort of enjoy it. But then it's actually a, just an illusion. They're actually as conformist as anyone else. Um, it, as I say, except in some very, very rare instances. Um, so that's uh, that's that. And so what I'll do now is talk about all of this guy's opinions. Um, so, she, so she kept hinting to him to, to leave this alone. Don't ask me more about my politics because we might fall out and, and it might be dangerous. And, and, and he just would not take the hint. He, and he kept thinking that it was about his opinions being controversial. <laughs> so anyway, what was happening was uh, he was using this uh, voice notes app. And so he would send this very verbose voice message. It would go on for like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, even 30 minutes of him just ranting about right wingers and conservatives and but, act, but at the same time, asking my friend about her politics and sort of interrogating her and talking down to her because he thinks that he's, that he understands everything. Oh, God. And by the end of it, he had gone from this very verbose, very talkative uh, attitude to just a sort of shell of a man where... He real. I, I think at some level he realized that actually he's not the underdog. Actually, he's not brave. Actually, he's not thought anything for himself. But also, and so that would obviously be very depressing. But, <laughs> but also, there's also the 
there's always that option that instead of seeing himself as he is, he can instead demonize his friend, his, well, his former friend. He can say, you, I don't recognize you anymore. I don't know what's happened to you. You've, you've changed. You've gone down this terrible route. You're, you've fallen into an abyss of hatred and darkness. I don't recognize you anymore. And so it becomes a case of why well, he is heroic, or at least virtuous, and his friend is, is fallen. And, and so he gets to now be a, the good guy doubly because he's not going to report her to the police. He's not going to tell all her, her friends and relatives about her opinions. He's, he's just going to leave her alone and uh, let her see the error of her ways. You know, this kind of thing. Now, he hasn't said that, but it, I think that's the way it's going. And another interesting thing about all of this is how it's it's incredibly white. You know, no one else would ever behave like this. So, okay, well, all of that that I just said, is, is that, that applies to that. But also what I'm, all the opinions that I'm going to tell you now, yeah, it's, it's again, it's it's very white. I think that this guy is Canadian, as I said, Vancouver, and he doesn't have any idea how, it's like the fish in water. He thinks he's got a sort of universalist perspective, but actually it's a very white-centric, I'm not going to say Eurocentric perspective, it's very North American-centric, white perspective. And what's more, he doesn't really seem to know about much outside of that in terms of foreign cultures that, of course, he claims to be interested in, or also the old world, uh, Europe, and his, his, his heritage, which, of course, he doesn't identify with. Um, he doesn't seem to know about anything, really. It's just being a consumer. It's just get excited for next product. But the, I, I should say, this is not a bad guy. You know, uh, I I listened to a few of the voice notes. I didn't listen to all of them, but I, I listened to enough to think, well, to see that this is a good guy. It's a, it's a white guy desperately trying to be good. And he's terrified of making a wrong move that would make him a bad man. And so it's a tragic case because it's a guy who's intelligent, reasonably thoughtful, quite quite intellectually thorough, uh, where he wants to be, and is concerned with morality. And yet he's been completely hoodwinked, completely subverted, and turned against his own interests, his own personal interests, and certainly his uh, group interests. So, okay, I'm going to list off now all of this guy's opinions that I was able to uh, make a note of. So <laughs> brace yourself. And as I say, you might well know people like this. So uh, here we go. First of all, he is obsessed with slavery. And he sees, and, and, and he sees the world very much through North American eyes, as I said. But weirdly, it's specifically American rather than Canadian. It's US. 
he's a because he's always talking about the slavery the slave trade um and it crops up again and again and again in his arguments that white people did slavery white people did the atlantic slave trade so we'll go through all of this i just want to make that clear that he is obsessed with slavery with the slave trade it's like it's this sin that colors absolutely everything that white people could ever do and have ever done not just in america but everywhere everyone is touched by the sin of the atlantic slave trade it it just shames and destroys the credibility of our entire race in this guy's eyes which i think is fucking ridiculous i mean even if it's you know you could say even but this is what, what my my view on this even if the worst version is true it still is just a minority of white people it still doesn't mean that we should go extinct it still doesn't mean that we should be race mixed out of existence it still doesn't mean that we should give up our countries to foreigners even in the worst if, if the worst version of it is true which it obviously isn't but even if it were it still wouldn't be enough to justify what's happening to us now so i think it's ludicrous that this keeps getting brought up i mean for fuck's sake how for how long are people supposed to feel guilty about this <laughs> anyway all right so let's go through his opinions he's a covidian he hates politicians who are anti-vax or or who were skeptical about covid he thinks the right wing gets funded by billionaires and the kremlin and by the right wing he thinks that the right wing is Donald Trump, Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, uh, Stephen Crowder, and that's that's right. That it, there, there's nothing farther right than that. There's nothing more evil than that. There's nothing worse than that. It, these are the these are people who are, are just the absolute pits, in his opinion, and he thinks that they're. That, well, anyone on the right, any any voice on the right, any figure on the right is funded by billionaires. I fucking wish. And the Kremlin, well, <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, if that were happening, I think I'd have heard something about it. And uh, I can assure you, I've heard nothing about it. So, I mean, obviously, it's, it's ludicrous. And it's especially ludicrous for someone to say this who is daily consuming news from the mainstream and from huge YouTube accounts uh, on the left. But uh, again, the, the, well, what you'll see again and again here is that honest rigor and reflection is just absent from this guy's thinking. But he thinks he is being thorough and he thinks he's being honest. Uh, it's remarkable. Okay, he thinks that Antifa is not an organization, it's just an idea and that they don't get funding it's all grassroots. I mean, how the fuck? How could you possibly? Uh, okay. He thinks that Soros is the only Jewish billionaire and isn't even in the top 10 of the wealthiest people. 
and he also thinks that the top 30 wealthiest people are almost all white. Now, it's very easy to find out. You can you can just look it up, and it's very easy to find out that that is cer certainly not the case. But for some reason, he hasn't checked that. Even though he does analyze arguments very closely, it's always with a, an intent. And he's never actually open-minded, which again is ironic because this guy thinks he's very, very open-minded. Anyway, he thinks that until white people came to America and stole the land, the natives were all living in peace. <laughs> uh, he thinks that all of white history is exploitation of other races. Now, where the hell does a white guy get an idea like that? And obviously, it's a rhetorical question. But what an amazing situation we're in here, where someone can get an idea that absurd and cartoonish into their head and uh, and really believe it. I mean, you could say that he doesn't really believe it. It's all affectation. But I think from his perspective, he really does believe this. You know, to all intents and purposes. But the question of belief is is a complicated one. Uh, all right. So he thinks that all of white history is exploitation of other races. Cathedrals only embody exploitation of other races because that's how the wealth to build them was gained, uh, specifically from the Crusades. Now, you can tell immediately this guy has almost zero knowledge of European history to say something that ridiculous. And it's ridiculous in multiple ways, and it's untrue in multiple ways. But this is what he thinks. And again, he's not thick. He's not stupid either. And yet he believes this. Uh, he has a cartoonish view of conservatives and right-wingers, um, which again is not open-minded about at all. He's very dogmatic and uh, closed about what conservatives are and what right-wingers are. He's pro-hate speech laws because that's the only way to stop people inciting violence. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, he be basically believes everything that the TV tells him, which, and again, it, it, you, this comes up again and again, like, he is so uncritically receptive of authorized opinion. It's, it's amazing. He hopes that we all race mix together and become beige because that would do away with racism. Uh, and yet, contradictorily, he thinks that mixing is good because it's how you get new types of people, which again is not true. I mean, it, it's ahistorical, but but even if it were true, it's it's not that doesn't make it a good idea. Uh, but anyway, let's move on. He loves black culture and says that so many things have been invented by black people, but doesn't give any credit to white people for the same thing at all. Uh, you know, white people, no matter what they've done, it's not impressive. It's evil. It's exploitative, etc. And again, it's like, why? Uh, how can you say that and think of yourself as rational and fair? Um, now, anyway, so uh, he's also a male feminist thinks that women were oppressed in the past and now they have rights, but we're still living under a patriarchy now. So this is like a, a man of 45 with the mental rigor here of a, a, an 18-year-old moronic girl on a 
feminist studies course. I, I don't know how it's possible. He thinks that capitalism was invented by straight white men and they still rule the world and the richest people in the world are straight white men. He's aware of the bell curve, but thinks it's just racist pseudoscience. And on that note, he has seen the debate between Jared Taylor and the Rugged Man, uh, which was organized by Gavin McInnes about five years ago. And I've always thought of it as an absolutely classic slice of internet debating history in which Jared Taylor easily destroys this guy, this, this moron, this wigger called the Rugged Man. And yet this guy somehow watches that same debate and thinks that the Rugged Man came out victorious. I don't know how you could manage that. I, I just don't know how you could think that. Uh, if anyone's seen this, I think you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's just incredible. Oh, another thing, he unquestioningly believes the FBI statistics about white supremacy being the greatest threat. So what we're seeing here is a guy who is, yeah, his entire belief system is so faulty, I don't even know where to begin. Exactly. <laughs> where would you begin? It, and it, this can't be true. It's too much. No, uh, I, honestly, I can understand why you're saying that. If I, I might well think the same thing, except that I've heard the voice notes. So I know, unless he's acting, <laughs> unless he's faking it, then I know that this is real. Um, and as I said, I've not even listened to them all. So, I mean, yeah, it's like you wouldn't make it up. It's too ridiculous. It's too one note. It's too extreme. And the guy's too fucking stupid. And yet it's real. And as I say, I don't think he is stupid. I think in another age, he'd have simply been a good man. He'd simply have been a good white guy <laughs> doing the right thing somewhere. I mean, that's the tragedy in all of this. So he's aware of the bell curve, but thinks it's just racist pseudoscience. I think I think there are quite a lot of people like that, actually. Like they, You can put the truth right in front of them, and they just choose to say no. They just choose no. Actually, I don't want to believe that. Uh, it's it's pseudo, pseudo, pseudoscience, that's it. Yeah, yeah it's racist pseudoscience. And, and that's how they get out of believing it. And <laughs> they tell themselves that. Oh yeah, on that matter, he, he thinks that we wouldn't have got to the moon if it weren't for that black mathematician woman at NASA who did the sum of the sums. Because uh, there just aren't any white people who are good at mathematics. So he also thinks the only reason white people have invented so many things is that they stole from other people and didn't let them have a chance to invent things. I mean, again, this guy is 45 and he's got this childish childish worldview I can imagine like a seven year old girl saying something like that and you think ah oh, that's endearing <laughs> but in an adult in a, in a man oh my god it's, it's gross you expect you, we, the world needs better than this from men men are supposed to be honest and rigorous and not just b believe some bullshit but anyway, uh, of course he believes that black people built America. He thinks that conservatives and Republicans are hypocritical and that that matters. Uh, again and again, he would say 
Well, yeah, you say this, but what about Republicans? They say that, and then they do this. <laughs> uh, so it's just so inconsistent. Another thing he thinks is uh, Mexicans and other immigrants are coming to North America because they love freedom. And the thing is, he's not alone in thinking that. It, there are actually right-wingers who think that. Uh, these morons, uh, civic nationalists, will say things. In fact, in fact, I think, I'm pretty sure that a famous internet, yeah, a famous YouTube civic nationalist once said that to me, actually, on a stream. If I'm not, maybe I'm misremembering, but I'm pretty sure that he actually did go that moronic. That, yeah, they're coming here because they love our values. They believe in our values, which is, you know, obviously freedom. <laughs> And capitalism, <laughs> but this, this, that's that's YouTube a few years ago. This guy doesn't like capitalism, but he does love freedom, and I mean that seems to be the only thing that he really values, as far as I can see. Um, but then my my female friend said to him, "Well, what about what, bringing in immigrants who are anti-freedom, like for example, bringing in immigrants who are anti-gay?" and want to put women in burqas. Uh, is that not stupid of us to do that, since they're anti-freedom? And this guy's response was, no, we do that because we're tolerant, and it's diversity, and diversity is our strength. And at this point, I think it really is just 1984 territory, where it's double-think. You know, he's, he's believing something that is directly contradictory, it cannot, these two things cannot, you cannot care about liberty and the freedoms that he certainly cares about, like, you know, gay stuff and LGBT and feminism. You can't care about that and bring in Muslims who are going to destroy all of that without there being a contradiction. And certainly to say that, no, bringing in the Muslims into that situation is our strength. It's just completely insane. It's just completely out to lunch. But again, this guy is real. This is not a fictional character that I've made up. And this is why I wanted to talk about him, because it's so, it's, it is so extreme. Um, all right. And oh, no, this is another, this is, a, this is a very, very stupid belief that he has. But he stated it several times. He thinks that Trump is far right because there's no politician you can vote for who is to the right of him. Therefore, by definition, he is the far right. Uh, I think that's very obviously a stupid thing to say, but this guy believes that, that because Trump is the farthest right you can get in American politics, therefore he is far right. It's fucking stupid. Uh, he also thinks that Elon Musk is far right and a fascist, for allowing Nazis on his platform. Uh, he consumes at least an hour of political content every day and is a fan of uh, the YouTuber JT Chapman. Now, I had never heard of JT Chapman before, and uh, I wish I still had never heard of him because he's fucking dreadful. And uh, this guy values him because he debunks right-wing myths, things like that, including The Great Replacement and so on. So in other words, 
that guy, this YouTuber, Chapman, provides this guy with the Valium that he needs to sustain his worldview. Probably there are a lot of people who are grateful for that, I think. That they keep, yeah, tell me more lies so that I can keep believing the lies that I, I've invested my identity in. Ooh, fucking hell. Uh, it, it really is sick. Oh, he thinks that Biden is right-wing because he doesn't support unions, apparently. But again, that's a very sort of... I think that that is a 90s sort of opinion to have. Because we've gone way beyond that kind of thing now. I'm not saying that unions aren't important or that they shouldn't be uh, valued or whatever. I'm just saying it's really not where the discussion is at this point. At this point, it's do you want to be in the pod or not? That, that's It's not really about trade union rights or whatever that's it's amazing it's, it's kind of incongruous to hear someone saying that now um okay oh yes uh, so my friend asked him about drag queen story hour and uh, the preponderance of uh, pedophiles among these these people uh, who because uh, specifically i uh, the drag queen story hour stuff because it seems to be one time after another it's uh, a drag queen is revealed to be or to have a stash of child porn, or to have molested a child, or whatever. And this guy said he'd be... F or, and, and my friend said, well, why not have uh, like old people go and uh, read stories to children? Why has it got to be drag queens? Why not have you know uh, the, the elderly go in, into schools and do that? And this guy replied he'd be far more concerned about old white men reading to children, because they are the most likely to molest them not drag queens. So that, I think, is just utter uh, being close to the facts. Um, I mean, statistically, it's just astonishing how, how often transgenderism and specifically, uh, well, especially the drag queen stuff, seems to overlap with being a paedophile. Now, I'm not saying that it's obviously one-to-one, -one. Uh, I'm just saying the overlap is certainly there and notable, but apparently not for this guy. Uh, he also thinks that showing gay stuff to kids is simply telling them that it's okay to be who they are, but showing a man and woman kissing is teaching kids heteronormativity. Again, how do you reconcile this stuff? I mean, that's a direct contradiction, but I, yeah, well, whatever. Uh, he says that the only reason Jews run Hollywood is that they weren't allowed to do other types of jobs, only entertainment. So basically, <laughs> they were forced into dominating the media. They just wanted to do and it. I've, I'm caricaturing here. This is my joke. I added this jokingly. I said, so they, they just wanted to be cobblers and builders, but the evil white man forced them into high finance and media. <laughs> But apparently that is what this guy believes. Um, most serial killers are white men. The rest is just gang violence, which is down to socioeconomic factors because they're not given opportunities. Uh, he says that when he sees a an ad with a mixed race couple, an, an interracial couple, he doesn't see the race mixing. He just sees people. Uh, and he thinks that these ads are simply intended to get people to stop being racist. 
Now, obviously, my female friend brought up the Arab slave trade because he wouldn't stop going on about slavery. So my friend brought up, well, what about the Arab slave trade? And he said he doesn't care about the Arab slave trade because white people are the only ones who industrialized slavery. And for a white person to bring up the Arab slave trade is just what aboutery. But it's not. It's not just what aboutery. It's it's trying to see things from a broader perspective rather than being myopically stuck in this idea that we are uniquely evil. Because you take a broader perspective in order to see things more, to, to see more things, in order to see other elements that weren't visible to you before. So that's to give you a broader perspective on the matter. And the truth is that white people are not, are not uniquely evil, and very much the opposite. So anyway, last two things. He thinks that black pride and Asian pride, etc., are okay because white people are in charge of everything. So that's why those prides are okay, but white pride is not okay. So that's it, that's it. And then the last thing is just a comment that I was that I wrote myself. And I think so that's that's it, just before I get to that. I just want to say thank you to everyone for sitting through that. I know it's fucking grueling, uh, but this is real. This is a real person. Um, yeah, you're fighting a lifetime of propaganda drum, drummed into him every day. Show him a fact or what have you that opposes it, of course he will dismiss it. You're not going to sway him with a couple of facts or a revealing video when you're up against 45 years of lies. Yeah, that's quite true. But the thing is, well, I guess... The point is that we were also subject to those lies, and yet we saw through them. So, even though like I, for some people it's you know twenty years, thirty years, or even more, forty years of life, and even more in some cases, fifties, fifty-five years, and yet they are able to wake up. Now, I think the the issue is. I mean, I take the point, obviously. The more time you've invested in this, the, the less you will want to give up on it all. But also, I think it's a matter of you can take the horse to water, but you can make it drink. Um, it ultimately has to. And this is, I guess, why in The Matrix, it's, uh, you know, Keanu is given the choice. It's, it's, well, it's to get back to what we were saying earlier, it's consensual. Morpheus doesn't just <laughs> ram the red pill down his throat, uh, so to speak. It's a choice because otherwise it wouldn't really be real. You have you have to choose to see this stuff, and this guy just is not prepared to see. He's not going to make that choice. And and I guess the interesting question is, well, what would it take to make him make that choice? You know, I, I always come back to the, the idea of luxury. I think that people are are too comfortable and so that detaches them from reality and from the need to think carefully and honestly and rigorously about things. Uh, I think that luxury infantilizes people and, you know, we're all um, immersed in it, obviously. It's not like, you know, I'm not gonna pretend that I live some sort of ascetic lifestyle I don't. I'm a typical millennial. Um, but it's not good. You know, and I do think, yeah, luxury is more ruinous than war. 
Yes, indeed. I think that's true. And that, I mean, you can see it now. And throughout all of this stuff over the last few years, luxury has never left us. It has stayed. You know, it's been consistent. Even with all the bullshit, the, the Wi-Fi stays working, the, the water keeps running, the electricity doesn't stop, the, the supermarket shelves are relatively well stacked, even at the height of COVID. Um, so it, the system keeps going. Um, so yeah, um, so that's what that's what I was going to say. And then my closing comment on this, I think a lot of white people are just beyond saving. They would be fine in another age. And this guy, as I said, would probably be fine in another age. But in this age, their traits make them utterly susceptible to bullshit programming. And there's probably nothing you can do to pull them back from it. It's like a light that hypnotizes them and just sucks them in. They cannot stop looking at it once it's grabbed them. Um, and there's the idea of equality uh, and all, and just the, the usual bullshit of our time. All of those fashionable views. I think it sort of mesmerizes people. Um, but also it is just that it is... Um, the majority opinion is the consensus opinion, the fashionable opinion. And people are very social. But that makes it all the more ironic that this guy sees himself as some kind of rebel. But then so do all the other rebels who agree with him. Uh, so yeah, it's really quite a head fuck. For, you know, to be outside this system and looking in on it is very strange indeed. I think all of us have felt that over the last few years especially. <sighs> Likewise, cubicle office workers only revolt when the coffee machines run out of coffee. Yeah, that's the kind of thing I mean, yeah. So, um, all right, well, thank you for listening. I'm sorry I don't have more to say about that guy, but uh, I don't want to bore you with it. And as I say, uh, I wish I were exaggerating. Um, it's... Uh, it's something else. And yeah, he's not 20. He's a middle-aged guy. He should know better. So if that's what he's thinking, if those are, if that's his worldview, and he's kind of worn with age, you know, he's, he can remember a different time. Well, what about some fucking Zoomer who has never known anything but this? And, and then, of course, some Zoomer girl who is just drunk on social approval and doesn't have any analytical uh, prowess like this guy actually does have. God almighty, it doesn't bear thinking about. Um, so as I say, I think some people are just uh, beyond saving. Oh, someone says, this guy is an outlier. I say that because I live in New York and the vast majority of people do not think like him. New Yorkers are way more base than people than people think. Um, well, we're talking about a guy from a Canadian guy from Vancouver. Um, so, yeah, I can believe that New York. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to dispute that. I, I can I find that plausible what you've said, but at least in Vancouver. Uh, well, and there was somebody from New Zealand who said that it, it sounded typical for for him as well. 
uh, people in New Yeah, I believe he's real, all right. I live in New Zealand. 99% of the people I know here are a facsimile of him. I mean, that's pretty fucking grim. Um, but anyway, okay. Well, that's it. I don't really have any more to say about this guy. Uh, I don't know much more about him because uh, he's, he's not someone that I've ever communicated with. Um, <laughs> my friend and I both concluded that it's probably uh, probably best if I, if I stay out of it. Um, so, all right. The, what's your, okay, Hinchfoot asks the Stevlin situation. The other, I don't know, I'm afraid I don't know what that, what you're referring to there. So I can't, uh, I don't, I don't know what you, what you mean. Um, okay, are there others? Let, let me just see if there are other super chats here. I don't think there are there. Um, do these not appear? I've forgotten how this works. With millennial, I tend to have someone monitoring the chat and <laughs> relaying questions to a, a Telegram channel since, so that they're all in one place. Um, otherwise, you'd be hopping about like a blue arse fly. Um, okay, that's that one there. Okay, now I'll check entropy one more time. And then I'll, otherwise, I guess we'll just call it a night. Let's see. Oh, okay. Gallic Glory says, given your natural inclinations, what role within the guild system would appeal to you in medieval society? It is an AMA after all. If you mean what kind of... I think another way to ask this would be what kind of job do I see myself having in the middle, in medieval England, medieval Britain? Um, I like to think I'd be a monk, uh, you know, with, surrounded by books and that kind of thing, but I don't know. Uh, as for a craft, like an actual, uh, the kind of thing you'd be in a guild for, gosh, I don't know. I can't think of something like that. I've never, this is a question I've never thought of before. If you're talking about an actual craft, I mean, I, maybe metal work actually, because that does kind of appeal to me. I've never done it, but I can imagine, I can imagine valuing it and, and, and caring about it. But also carpentry, but I'm not practical, so I can't. Like, I don't think I'd be good at that. I don't know. I don't know. Tailoring? No, I'm not good enough at that kind of thing either. I don't care about that. So I think we'd have to return to being a monk. I think that's probably the, the thing that I would that would go best with my nature. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'll leave it at that. But thank you for the. I'm sorry. I can't give you a better answer than that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Woes. Is the cultural difference to do with lying and how acceptable it is in certain cultures a battlefront worth atten attending? At what point do we abandon this seemingly futile arena? About uh, the cultural differences to do with lying and how accept... Oh. Well, that's like every difference. You're going to... The, the war is... The war you have to fight is to persuade people that there is a difference. Because if you say, oh, the Chinese said, they don't care about lying, they'll just lie to your face. <laughs> or they are or even more reasonable than that. If you say, well, I, I, I think they're a bit less trustworthy. I'm not saying all of them, obviously, but some of them are, a, they seem to have a higher preponderance of dishonesty than exists among white people. 
if you say something even like that, well, other white people will just rush to condemn you for generalizing and assuming. So I don't, I, I, I think that you, it's, it's like we were saying about the, that guy. Um, I don't think that you can really convince people of things that they don't want to be convinced of. So I'd say just don't try to push it, especially when it's to do with other people's being different, because that's a direct contravention of modern dogma. We're supposed to believe that people are the same, but well, they're different, but only in ways that don't matter. Yet, we're supposed to celebrate those differences, even though they don't matter. It's all, it's all fucking ridiculous, obviously. But that is, or that does seem to be what most people believe. So, so if you try to introduce them to, the, well, if you try to say to them, that, no, that there is a difference that does matter, and it's, uh, here it is, I think that really is, ve it's very difficult for them to entertain. Because what they're immediately thinking of is, how will this affect my social standing if I go along with this? And so they'll reject it. If you mean fighting this as a sort of cultural war, so to do with lying, no, again, I think you would just be accused of just being a racist, saying that what Arabs or Pakistanis or whoever are, are more likely to lie than Europeans. I don't think you're going to get a sympathetic reception for that, I would say. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's kind of futile. So, yeah, that's that. What was your video many years ago about a great-grandson defending the statue of his direct ancestor as a nose-pierced banshee yells and pulls the finger in his face really struck a chord with me. I've been watching your content whenever I can ever since. Well, thank you very much. That was a a video that I was very pleased with at the time. Um, I think it was called Urban Progressive Hatred of the Local and Innocent. <laughs> uh, and there were two, there were two of them, which I made right uh, back to back. I think that was the first one. Yeah, it was. And it was a, a young guy who was holding a Confederate flag and guarding a statue, while this woman was holding, uh, just standing right in front of him, giving him the finger uh, doubly, uh, and just so nasty, so horrible. Well, this guy, this boy, just seems so innocent and straightforward and uh, rural. Just, just straightforward. Just there, there's no nonsense. There, there's no pretension. There's no bullshitting. He's just uh, a good, a good boy. <laughs> and I know he's a he's a grown man, but he he's got this sort of innocence about him, which he, he just seems. I don't want to say simple because that's got connotations, but he just seems like a good young man. And then you've got this fucking witch, this rotten, nasty witch, who hates him, and she really does hate him. You can tell, you can see what well, it looks like she really hates him. And it's difficult to look at that photo. I'm sorry, I, I can't um, show it to people just now. Well, actually, hold on, I, I actually could. I've forgotten about this. Hold on a second. I'll uh, put it up on the thing. Yeah, there you go. So 
that's uh, it's nasty. Uh, and this was, I think, just after Charlottesville. Let me see. I can't, I'll tell you when I filmed it. Apparently December 2017. Well, yeah, I guess that would be a few. Yeah, it was a few months after Charlottesville. It's a. I, I think I, I I could probably put that up on Odyssey for people because it's been asked about several times. So I'll have a look at it. And I'm just wary of uh, putting stuff up that you know because times are have changed since 2017. But um, I'll have a look and if it's. Uh, probably is fine so I'll, I'll put it up there so yeah okay thank you for that um all right i think that's uh i think that's everything six years flew by they certainly did certainly did uh, a medieval jouster i don't think so <laughs> oh no uh was do you still believe in the out of africa hypothesis I'm not totally convinced anymore. It's, it's, oh, I, I, it is up there. Thank you, Reed Johnson. Sorry, it's all, that video is up on my Odyssey channel. So, yeah, there it is. Thank you. So the out of Africa hypothesis, it, it doesn't actually seem to matter because it's ultimately, it amounts to the same thing. Either we all came from Africa or we originated in, in maybe in Europe went to Africa and then came up from Africa to, to Europe and Asia and all that. Well, I mean, who cares? Well, what difference does it actually make? And I, and I know that lefties and liberals will say, well, we all came from Africa and it's a, they think it's a winning argument. But it, even on its own terms, it's not a winning argument. It, it, it's a stupid thing to say. I mean, let's say that it's true. So we all came from Africa. Well, yeah, but some of us left. I mean, it's like saying, well, you know, we all used to use Windows 95. Or, <laughs> so what? It, it's not actually a winning, it's not, it, it's it's actually bad. It's, it's actually, it's implying that Africans are version 1.0 and we evolved. But I, I mean, that's not actually the case because what I, what I believe happened is that after we left Africa, Africans then mated with a, uh, some other uh creature that they don't know they don't know exactly what it was but it's now gone extinct so in other words we have neanderthal dna that africans completely lack but they have some other group of dna that we completely lack so yeah but then where did the neanderthals come from and it, the thing is i just don't think any of this matters i mean if you could uh, uh, determine for sure if you could confirm it that we all came from the same place back way back when at the very start we all came from the same so what it doesn't mean anything it really is a stupid argument it, but so many of these arguments are like when they say you know huh, I, I bet you're not fully british huh, but if you did a dna test you might be some french in there no huh? well so fucking piss off it j just doesn't mean anything it does not mean it. Oh, so, okay, I'm 5% French, 10, 20% French. Oh, my God, Britain no longer exists. It no longer matters. It, it's all an illusion. Nonsense. This is just fucking fatuous drivel. And all of these arguments are.
And then that's even before you get into the, the really preposterous stuff like diversity built Britain. You know, it, it, there were always black people here in large numbers. Yeah, the, the stuff that's just completely dishonest and obviously untrue. And, and well, let's not even start talking about Cheddar Man. It, I, what I think is, even if this stuff were scientifically true, it still wouldn't change the reality on the ground. You are not going to persuade me that some African off the straight off the boat is the same as me. He's not. He's just, he's absolutely, fundamentally, undeniably not. I don't give a fuck about the out of Africa hypothesis or the, I forgot what the other one is, the multi-origin hypothesis, whatever it's called. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter how many Romans stayed in Britain or the Berbers. Well, where are the Anatolians? Were the ancient Egyptians, how, how white were they? I don't care. It still, it still doesn't mean that I should feel nothing when I see a river of black men walking through a German field. I'm still going to find that shocking. I'm still going to find that very unsettling because I'm sane. And all of this stuff that is so esoteric about the scientific truth of it, this or that, it, it just doesn't change a goddamn thing as far as I'm concerned. So that's what I think about that. Um, and really, it's it's not science. I mean, it's not something that should come down to science because we're talking about human experience. And the human experience is, because they'll say this as well, that you know, race doesn't exist. It's not a scientific. But first of all, that is, I think, bullshit. I think it is scientifically you know, a, a thing it's discernible on genetic grounds, but but even if it weren't, so what? Perceptually, it is a reality, and we have to go by perception. I mean, we are human; we we, are, we we run on perception, so it is a social reality, even if it were scientifically disprovable, which it isn't. So yeah, I, I think there's a lot of wankery and a lot of sheer dishonesty in this, where people pretend to believe something or they pretend to feel something that they don't feel. And uh, yeah, it's just tedious. Don't confuse science for science. Of course, there's that as well, of course. But that's that's a whole issue in itself, that we live in an age in which all of these things have been corrupted. So you will get someone who quite earnestly is studying a biology degree. And they, but their their head is being filled with bullshit. The Lawanton's fallacy and so forth, <laughs> but they don't know it's a fallacy because their biology lecturer didn't tell them that, and the, the biology lecturer wouldn't lie to them. So, so who, who are you, some layman, to disagree with their biology lecturer? Uh, or them once they've got the degree. But that's not a bad person. It's someone who thinks that their society is working the way it's supposed to work. You know, the, the way that they, they think that the contents is what it says on the label. But it's not. All right. Okay, well, I think that's, uh, that's everything then.
Let me just see if there are any others. No, no other super chats. And uh, check entropy one last time. I should say that I do a live stream every week, every Monday, uh, on, at 10 p.m. GMT on Telegram, and it goes up on Odyssey eventually. But uh, where to catch it live is Telegram. Uh, I might start doing it on Odyssey instead next year because it's less work for me as um, <laughs> so it's what everyone else does. So I might just start doing that myself. Um, anyway. All right, I guess that's it. So yeah, that's my, uh, well, let's just see if the link tree does work because, uh, oh, it does, good, that's good. Because they did, uh, they, they, they shut down quite a lot of them at one point and then I and others just, just messaged them and said, no, you've made a mistake and, and they just reinstated them, which is handy. It was nice, if only they were all so reasonable. All right, that's it for now. Uh, Sorry about the technical screw-up at the start. I hope I haven't sworn too much. I, I'm trying to reel that in uh, after someone said that I swear an awful lot on stream. So, all right. hope you find this interesting and uh, entertaining and hopefully not too depressing. And um, all right. Well, I will i don't know when I'll see you next on this uh, channel, but... Uh, Probably I, I will be hosting again at some point in the future. <laughs> uh, it seems to seems to happen every every six months or so. In the meantime, you can find me on my own on my own channel, and of course, Millennial will be happening in December. All right, see you all later then. Bye bye for now.